what you know about it. It's the stool, baby. Got the knees in plus. Young stool, baby. And the room a lot. Hello, hello. This might come as a surprise to you, but you're listening to The Stew. It's a food podcast. My name is Jason Stewart. Say hello, Andre Conaparo. Hello. My brother's not here. He's not here. He's on an exciting adventure, though. Is he? Well. What is his exciting adventure? He's at work? He's, uh, it's his anniversary with his lady, and they are reliving their first date. Oh, really? Going to the same place that they had their first date at. Colombo? Uh-huh. The Steakhouse. In Eagle Rock. That's cute. It's super cute. Way to go, Stewie. Full support it. Understand. Got to take a mulligan on this one, buddy. I got it. It's fine. It's fine. You know, he's a busy guy. It's fine. It is a good spot. Yeah, I was um, speaking of him and his, and his restaurant that he works at. Um, burger lords they're doing they're doing a burger burger collab with the restaurant otium mm-hmm. downtown and i saw some photos of the the burger that the otium guy is making it's like a barbecued eel burger <laughs> but it's like a burger patty that has eel on top of it i guess mm-hmm. sounds interesting sure There's some <laughs> i'd try it <laughs> does that sound horrible to you no, it doesn't sound horrible. It's one of those times where... Is that sacrilegious? Is that snack religious? No, and I haven't eaten... It's my eaten, new food podcast. <laughs> I haven't eaten Odium. Neither have I. But uh, I've seen pictures and I've talked to Stewie about it and other people about it. And it sounds like... It's a hot spot. Food that I would really like to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and playful because they have a really famous funnel cake. Right. So, I mean, it's, it sounds in the same vein. And I, it's, it's coming from a place where I would trust something kind of... A little out of the box, a little adventurous. Where, mm-hmm. I mean, if you're like, oh yeah, there's a there's a new burger at Burger King. It's an eel patty. I'd be like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but you tell me somebody's doing that elevated. I'd be like, oh, I would love to try that. But I don't. It, it's I mean, not one of those things where it's like, oh shit, that makes sense. You're right. Of course. You're right. It does. Um, yeah. But also the, the it's, e- it's a quarter oxtail and and three quarters like Japanese. J5 Wagyu? Yeah. Totally try that. So it's like, we're doing an eel burger, and they're all like, oh, cool. <laughs> well, well, definitely, the yeah. The eel, you know, the, it's, a, it's a regular burger patty, and then it has like the eel. Seared barbecued unagi on top, kind of. Yeah, I'm assuming. This, I don't like, know for sure, but yeah, it'll have, yeah, it'll have like I'm sure it'll be really, sauce. really good. I think what you if just it's have gross? to. Well, it could be. Ooh, but it's certainly when somebody says it to you or, or pitches it to you, you have to wrap your head around what you heard just now. And you're like, okay. Yeah, and the word think eel about burger it, doesn't like, sound mm-hmm. great. It sounds wrong. Well, the, what seems to me what would be most interesting is that it, like unagi, and I'm just referencing, it may have nothing to do with Japanese style unagi, but it's the texture of it doesn't lend itself to being in anything else. Other than over rice, or you know, in a hand wrap, mm-hmm. because you start putting it between two buns, and you have a patty, and then more condiments, and I don't know if there's any kind of lettuce or any any I'm kind sure. of other veg, but like, yeah, I, mean, I think there's like in my head, it just seems like it would just disappear, and it would just kind of be there. Yeah, but also, you know, an eel is an umami bomb. 
No, it is. It is. No, I'm, it's packed it's, with flavor. Yeah, and when you char it nicely, it's it can stand on its own. We should try it. It's the ketchup of the sea. So yeah. where can you get it? I think it's. I don't know. Actually, it's going to be next they're, month. They're not doing it, at Burger Lords. I don't know. Well, they might be. It might be at Burger Lords. It, it's probably going to be at OTM. Stewie, if you if you were here, you could tell us. We'll yeah. update you, people. Yeah, but we like to speculate. Um, I I definitely want to try it. Mm-hmm. Um, also, speaking of burgers, Shake Shack opens up tomorrow in our in our hood in Glendale. Do we care? Not I th- I think really? I care if there wasn't a line. Mm. That's true. I would definitely eat there if there wasn't a line. That's very um, true. I think as far as Glendale hamburgers go, um, I would eat there if they had like if they finally put fucking eel on the menu. I still haven't had the chicken sandwich. So oh, that's right. Because they have that on the regular menu now on the on the West Hollywood location, right? Mm-hmm. And for a while it was kind of exclusive for like. It was off menu. It was off menu. So oh. I definitely want to try that. And I think the burgers are good. I mean, we've had many debates about In N Out. It is interesting to me that it's opening across the street a block down from In N Out. Do you think that's on purpose? I, no, I think it's on purpose to be close to the Americana mm-hmm. and Din Tai Fung. And I mean, that's a real, that, that whole, those four blocks are like, yeah. And, and when it's opening in a, in a murderer's row, of Egg Slut Murders and Row. Joe's Coffee from San Francisco. Phil's Coffee. Phil's Coffee. Joe's Coffee? <laughs> Phil's Coffee. Are you from the Bay Area? I should read my notes. <laughs> Phil's Coffee, which I actually really like. I've only had a few times and mm-hmm. only in Santa Monica. But I think that zone just continues every six months to be updated with more and more kind of destination restaurants. And I, to me, there's that... The bourbon or Michael Mina's Steakhouse was bourbon. Bourbon steak. Bourbon steak. It's whack. Yeah, not interested. But Din Tai Fung to me is a crazy huge anchor for any destination eating. Anchor. Um, because it's so consistent to any location you go to. Also, this wine is really getting better as time goes by. Shout outs Lou Wine or mm-hmm. is it Joe's Wine? Vin de Savoie, Appellation de Origin, Con. Trolle. Not even gonna try. It's from the French Alps. It's a Mondeuse. M O N D E U S E. I don't know any of these words. It's so that's that's what is so hard about wine. I just understand like you get a crazy coffee bean. It's like it's from Ethiopia. It tastes like this. There Here you are go. the notes. This is the day it was roasted. You eat food and you're like, all right, this tastes like this. And then you get a nice imported bottle of wine from the French Alps and it's just like. Here's uh, 48 words that you've never read before. There's, that's part of the romanticism about wine, too, is that it, oui, it's oui. so international and made in every country in the world. that I feel like even if there was a French person here, I'm like, what does this mean? They're like, mm, they No, a French speaker could definitely at least break down what's going on, whether they're describing the vineyard or... French speaker? The, <laughs> the region it's coming from or, you know, like... You look at any kind of California-produced or United States-produced wine, it's like, oh, Willamette Valley. I know where that is. It's mm-hmm. in Oregon. But you start looking at any kind of foreign label, whether it's Spanish or French or Argentinian, you, kinda, you have a Chile? learning curve. Is trying, or Chile. Mm-hmm. Or anywhere. Or Chinese wines. But you look at trying to figure out what's going on in that label. It's not... 
That's the best part, too, mm-hmm. is that if, I mean, God, if it had some like kind of FDA labeling system on wine labels, mm-hmm. it would be the most like basic bitch, boring adventure ever to be like, this is what it is. This is the amount of calories per glass. This is where it's from. Mm-hmm. FDA approved. And you're like, well, this is not. <laughs> I wish wine used to be confusing and hard to understand. Back I, my, I miss those days. Didn't I, didn't I make a, some sort of infinite jest analogy a while ago that was probably really apt and, and hilarious and clever? It was about the Tartine Bread Book, about how everybody has mm. infinite jest on, on the, in their bookshelf. Most haven't finished it, much like everybody owns a Tartine Bread Book, but nobody's cooked from it because it's so complicated. Mm. And it's like... It's a very dense. I've been thinking about about tackling infinite jest. Yeah, and just going for it. Have you, you can finished borrow my it? copy? Yeah, you yeah. have a copy of it. Oh yeah, <laughs> haven't finished it. How far did you get? I think like three hundred pages in, and then like a Michael Connelly book came out, and I was like, hmm, time to read about detectives. <laughs> time to read something that I can fall asleep to and not have nightmares. Okay, okay, I'm, and it's like a thou- over a thousand pages. Yeah, I think so. I don't know why I want to do it. It just seems you should. Like, it's a it's an amazing book. I mean, this is it's no knock. It just takes. I know, but I don't. I know like maybe one person who's successfully read it. It just takes a mindset. Has your mom read it? Yes, she has. And she finished it. Yes, Classic. she reads. I mean, she's the most voracious reader I know. Um, voracious. She has a king's thirst for the literary world. I think you need to be in a mindset, in a space, whether it's work or life, that you're not looking for punchlines or mysteries or kind of like what's around the corner as mm-hmm. opposed to just kind of, it's my book podcast. No, it's a very, it's a very complicated. Um, if you're listening to a food podcast, you're, you're no stranger to a library, I'd say. That's right. You guys Probably. are all nerds. We love you guys. But I think it's, it's certainly, it should be, it shouldn't be that hard of a goal, to be honest. It seems that it kind of is. I know. Everybody I know has never been able to finish it, except your mom. Uh, my mom, Karen, if you're listening to this, which you are, have you finished reading Infinite Jest? You probably haven't, and it's time you got it. She might be in the car listening to it, Books on Tape, though. That is not the book you want to listen to, Books on Tape. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the, you'd just be rewinding every day where you started from the you day do, before. It'd, yeah, be like you ground, it. it'd be Groundhog Day. Of book on tape, and then it ends day. with you turning the wheel and just veering no, off into, I don't, like, into I mean, a I ravine. Don't, I don't think it's it's not. Yeah, it's not that. It's not that dark in the way that like by the time you're done, you just like you want to end your life. I think it's more. Yeah, it's just less. You got to really want to get through it. Mm-hmm. Speaking of food, in the background, we're watching the episode of Seinfeld. Or George is eating that pastrami sandwich in bed that he's hidden. That's right. He's listening to the radio, and he's hidden the pastrami sandwich in his little nightstand, and he pulled it out, and she's, he's busted. I didn't even know that was the episode on. I was kind of muted Seinfeld. And you put on cooking. the food episode, and now they're making the sausages. This is such a food moment. Um, also, shout out to our friend May in the UK, who's working on new stew artwork. She's the best. Got some prototypes? We, we're, we're shopping around some ideas. Um, so we can get into some food stuff that I've done mm. and that you've done. Mm. A couple days ago, I pulled out, I pulled out my, my rosé granita recipe. That's right, which, which is, I've, ne- I've yet to have. Which what is, was the occasion? I just, I just had a bottle of rosé champagne, and I'm, I'm never really going to drink it, so I just put it in the ice cube trays. 
It's literally the easiest thing you do. You just get rosé, champagne, you put it in ice cube trays, and, and it never, it doesn't freeze ever completely because it has alcohol in it. So it just turns into like a granita slush, and then you just dump out the ice cubes into a cold bowl, put a bowl in the freezer so it stays cold. Yep. And then just drizzle honey all over, and then the honey gets hard, sweetens it up, so it kind of like the honey gets a little chewy. And it, it, not unlike a Korean dessert where you'll have Say like that in your sh- jazz voice. It gets hard. The uh, fresh drizzled honey sometimes. So does it? It doesn't up. come out in cubes. It's kind of like you have to have a big enough. Bowl it comes. To dump it, it does come out in. It does come out in cubes. So it does it's manageable until you start spooning it. But together. the cube, it's like it's like a cube made out of snow. Like it, it maintains a cube shape. But then you can just, uh, you know, you could drop a, a penny on it and it'll shatter into right. smush. It's literally just. Rose, sparkling snow, but it, it it comes off a little dry and a little unsweet. So the honey hitting it with the honey really helps. It's kind of, and then you think it loses sugar when it freezes? No, it's just not that sweet on its own. It's, it's you're weird because se- you're separating the water from the alcohol to a small extent, even though it's not going to freeze directly. I, th- I think when you when you drink a wine or a rose or a champagne, like it obviously in slushy form. Well, things, you, some things change chemically. Is that what you're trying to tell well, me? Well, when you drink it, when you drink like a, a glass of champagne, compared to a lot of wines, it's, it has a lot of sugar. It's really sweet. Right. But when you compare it to like a dessert, if you're eating it, you're like, oh, I'm going to eat dessert. I want something sweet. That that's that. It's not sweet enough for you. So this green slushy is a dessert. It's not. It is a dessert. It's not kind of like an elevated pool sipper. No, no, no. This is you eat it with a spoon. Right. And okay. then a little fresh mint on top is nice yeah. as well. But it's kind of like, you know, we're both not really into desserts that much. But if we are into desserts... Would you add like toasted it, almond or toasted pistachio? Would you add a crunch to it? No. No. No, no, no. No. No, no, no. But we don't like to eat a big dessert. We don't like to eat a cake or a pie or a... Never. Brownie f- Sunday thing. But if you go someplace, like you go to a Japanese place and like, here's like one little green tea mochi... Oh, or like that. here's like, like some that. orange slices or some fresh fruit. I'll have that. But yeah, this I'll is have this little, is sort I'll have of the sorbet or the limoncello. Mm-hmm. So this is sort of like that. It's like just a little something to cool you down, especially on these hot summer nights. It's these very, hot, hot September nights. Yeah, it was like ninety degrees yesterday, bro. It's supposed to be fire season weather tomorrow. Oh yeah, this weekend's supposed to be That's fire. Not a little warning. fire. It'll be hot. Um, Shout out to if you have a pool we can come to this weekend. Mm, mm, mm. Dana's parents, I hope you're listening. They're listening. Um, come Samina. We had come Samina, all our Korean listeners. You made uh, you made another brisket this weekend, baby. I did. Thirty six ow in the sous vide coming through. Yeah, it was kind of. Look a- at my Instagram if you want to see me <laughs> drizzling barbecue sauce on it ah. so nicely. See that I think one of the best takeaways from that whole that whole recipe is that which isn't mentioned is that just directly dumping all the sous vide liquid that's left over once it's finished and reducing that and just adding that and I'm not ashamed we just used we just combined it with some sweet baby rays mm-hmm. this is not the worst store bought barbecue sauce in the world it's a, it's a fine barbecue sauce I say. And then you elevate it a little bit, hit it with some hot sauce, do a little bit of fresh garlic, add some more sugar if you want. But a little Worcestershire? Worcestershire. But you, 
you're left with so much. I mean, I don't. Is it? It's not brazing liquid. So would you call is the term sous vide liquid? I, guess, I mean, yeah, because you you got like a big ass brisket. You you hit it with the dry rub and you sous vide it for thirty six hours, yeah. and then the byproduct was. Probably something like five cups. Yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot, and we didn't even have time to reduce it because we kind of like needed to eat. How much of that? More. How much of that was fat versus liquid? Do you think? What's that ratio? I think more liquid. Because a a lot of like a seventy thirty liquid to fat. Yeah, uh, just just from tasting it as it was reducing and seeing the the fat float to the top and Mm -hmm. start to boil, Mm -hmm. I would say it it was not like. When I do short ribs braised or pork shoulder, there's a lot more fat content. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the soft, the soft cooking of the sous vide actually leaves more fat on. But well, I think it's also textured you, as opposed to totally rendered. And also, you when you're when you're hitting in the sous vide, there's nowhere for that liquid to go. It's wish, all trapped. In I there. wish I knew more about science. Oh, that's a huge. That's a really good point. Is that there's nothing. It's all there. It's there's nothing evaporating. Yeah. But it, it can't evap. I think that is my favorite barbecue sauce I've ever had, and it could probably get better if we just didn't use baby rays. But adding mm-hmm. the sous vide liquid reduced to that, and it's then gold. some hot sauce and some other little. Fizzle Fazzles. Mm-hmm. It was. It's still in my fridge. I've been using it every day since on just a little something. Even it's like a toasted rice the cracker. Barbecue sauce. Yeah, I'll be like, uh, I got this rice cracker. Maybe need a little spoon of this barbecue sauce. Hit, hit on the cereal in the morning. I wonder. I mean, it's not shelf stable, so it's gonna have to go at some point. It's mm-hmm. gonna be like Homer and his hoagie. Mm. There's gonna be a rotting, moldy jar of barbecue sauce underneath my pillow at night, and I won't let go of it. Freeze it. But no, no, it's more. Yeah, I mean, you could freeze it, but it's more about kind of how maniac long. freezes barbecue sauce. Am I right, ladies? It's just not. I mean, it's, it's you got a bunch of textured meat liquid added to it. It's not long. How, for this okay, world. try. How about this scenario? See, you you get the you get the five cups of braising liquid, mm-hmm. and then instead, so then you then you strain out the fat, and you just have the liquid. Yeah, if you put it into a gravy separator, yeah. Put it into a gravy separator, or put it in the, put fridge, it in the jar and freeze it, and, or and then like fridge. that fat, yeah. and then you have that ring, and then you reserve that, and then would you have brisket broth? Yeah, for sure. So that's just straight brisket broth. Yeah, it's salty and it's peppery, but yes, I think when you do bone broth, you don't. There's a very low sodium content mm-hmm. if what you're going for. This is a heavily salted brisket. So I say you take that you take that fat, you can use that for cooking some other stuff. For sure. But then you use that brisket broth and then maybe make some type of like soup situation with it. Mm-hmm. And then just just put the baby rays straight baby rays on it and then you save that brisket broth for a new adventure. Mm-hmm. What's it gonna be? You, you could, you, well, it's not. Take I mean, that brisket broth and then maybe like five, poach some eggs in it. I mean, you've poach got some eggs in the brisket broth. You got you could do Ooh. that. You've got no aromatics in it. It's just literally salt, pepper, and brisket, which is beautiful. But when you think of like a beef stock, mm-hmm. a traditional one, you've got nothing. You've got no mirepoix. You've got okay, no hints of anything. But it's a really amazing. I mean, 
The thing is, like, so we need to try it to really figure out how condensed the flavor is. But it We're would spitballing right now. It would be absolutely beautiful in kind of any soup or any chili. Okay. But you don't have enough to work with, and once you start diluting it with other beef stock or you start adding water and then reducing it again, mm-hmm. it'd be more like, so what would be... So it's a consomme at a certain point, Ooh, but yes. just a pure brisket consomme. I mean, we, we need to try brisket it. Brisket consomme sounds like the name of, like, a new... Country singer. (laughs) (laughs) And the brisket count. Johnny Walker and the brisket consummates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm the consummate brisket consummate eater. I would say this then. Let's take it one step further or one step back and reverse engineer the brisket, which is a common cut of meat in like a pho soup, Mm -hmm. for instance. Very. When you're sous vide it for 36 hours, why don't you sous vide it instead of with a standard white people barbecue style and then hit it with a pho style aromatic in the bag i think a noodle dish five cups of broth is more than enough for a couple bowls of a noodle dish but no no no, i'm I'm saying instead of just using your dry rub use all of the pho spices oh like star anise and cinnamon and Basil, yeah fresh torn basil the star anise the cinnamon whatever else to sous vide the brisket in put it all in the bag no, I mean work I've, those pho flavors into that brisket for thirty six horas. For sure, then is that a bad idea? No, not at all. You're, it's just like it's just not the recipe we were making, but I think it's a great idea. I've also been um, playing with the idea of a sous vide whole pork shoulder and a bulgogi marinade, which I would think would be very Whoa. good. But I'd also be very curious how how Whoa. much it actually penetrates, you know, a shoulder that's. You know, eight or nine pounds large. But do you think you might hit it with the injection? No, I mean, I've never been an injection guy, and it it can be very debated on forums about whether it actually works or not. Mm -hmm. But um, I think the point of that would be hopefully it penetrates well enough, and then you reduce that bulgogi braising liquid, and then you kind of tear the shoulder like you would for sandwiches or tacos, Mm -hmm. and reintroduce that liquid Mm -hmm. and see what that would be like you do 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 a pull and pull and toss but it's because i just want to see like that meat on its own what it how how much it actually absorbs and incorporates what kind of damn penetration goes on in there how much of that pineapple juice can get in there Mm. you dig Mm. but i think that idea i mean the idea if you if the goal was to get a really good brisket and then really kind of have an interesting sous vide liquid left over the route of adding kind of those elements of anise and cinnamon and white pepper which is mm-hmm. those standards for the broth mm-hmm. i mean that would be something interesting because you are left over with a lot of liquid hoisin hoisin yeah sriracha I, it's white interesting onion. it's uh, you know because i don't know the chemistry as well as i i would like to um, it, there's not a lot of braising, or there's not a lot of sous vide liquids that people really kind of talk about or mention. It's not like it's America's dirty little secret. No, I mean like there's just a lot of it, just like salt and pepper, olive oil, right? Sometimes adding like kind a of garlic a, clove and a rosemary. Yeah, spray. or a wet rub as opposed to liquid. So like if you blend 
mm-hmm. of fruit like pineapple or apple with garlic and onion and, and jalapeno, and mm-hmm. then you kind of use that. But you're not incorporating like you know a lot of liquid, right? It's more of a paste. it's more the based elements of what in, is incorporated in that until you add any stock or water, and then kind of marinate in that. So based elements, base y'all, it's the based elements crew in the building, jungleism. So. <laughs> Now I'm thinking about when you said the whole pork shoulder with the bul- the bulgogi and the pineapple. Now I'm thinking, what if we, what if you sous vide, kind of like try to recreate your own pastor on the spit roast, where they'll yep. take those pork flaps for sure, marinate them in the pineapple juice and all those flavors, and then you hit it hit it with a high heat and char it up. When well, can you do that? Like like pastor and like bulgogi. What's what I'm curious about is you're going to incorporate a lot of sugar. And if those sugars actually get into the muscle fibers, mm-hmm. you're going to be able to get a really, really nice char on the outside quickly. Mm-hmm. So, if, so I'm thinking, can you like recreate a pastor with like sous vide in the liquids for a long ass time, mm-hmm. you know, two days or something? Both incorporate pineapple. Yeah. And then maybe hit it with like the sears all or a torch or something real quick to get that flame popping or just like, cook it straight on some charcoal like flap right on there well i think in the uh, i mean it's kind of one of those things where bulgogi on its own and al pastor on its own have its own texture and we're kind of uh, we're kind of appropriating the flavors into a cut of meat that doesn't lend itself to the same texture oh yeah yeah i mean so we're we're working towards basically a shredded pork shoulder taco with those kind of hints or elements or sandwiches two white guys talking about souvenir you please yeah, believe dude. we're appropriating no no no. but dog. i mean but it, it's kind of that sense where it's like the the way that al pastor is cooked or is supposed to be cooked um on a you know on a spit circulating is is part of carving off caramelized end bits for texture and for sear mm-hmm. constantly and bulgogi is Nothing put on two a barbecue or a plane or a plancha and everything's crisping and the idea would be that you would kind of be able to draw that element on a pork shoulder if you could really char the outside a lot shred and then kind of you'd have very crispy outside charred bits and nothing but the burnt ends well burnt no but burnt ends incorporated because you would you couldn't re-burn the ends as you pulled off the bark burnt ends incorporated we in the building burnt ends <laughs> minimalism Subliminous meals. Oh, also, <laughs> you uh, the sous vide sous vide your bacon in the plastic bag that it comes in from the grocery store, I've which done I it. just saw, which is wild. I've done it, and I, I it worked really well. There's people warn very much, and also at the same time encourage very much cooking things in kind of commercial grade vacuum bags. Mm-hmm. Like you can get oxtail from Costco. Mm-hmm. That is an, an industrial, commercial, sealed plastic bag, mm-hmm. food safe, in theory. Mm-hmm. And so, if you, but people also warn about high temperatures or long cooks. So, if you're doing a high temperature, that can be kind of tricky because the seals can break, and then just everything falls into your liquid. Into or you're just heating bath. heating plastic at a sort of dangerous yeah. heat. But and then like, so that's the high heat problem. And then yeah. the like a lot of the recipes that call for oxtail ragu are 72 to 100 hours. And even if it's at a low temperature, you're still really pushing kind of the boundaries of what that plastic's not to be meant for. But the bacon thing is low temperature, 
12 hours, or at least this, you drop it in when you go to bed at 10 o'clock at night, and it's ready for you at 8 in the morning. Mm-hmm. And it's good. But I still, I still think roasting or baking bacon at a low temperature is still my favorite bacon. Mm-hmm. I didn't really I'm find okay. to be like the idea. I know Chef Steps calls for sous vide overnight and then cooking only on one side. So one mm-hmm. side is seared and one side is still kind of like that really super thin, but those elements of a nice soft pork belly. One side crunchy, one side soft. I, I didn't notice any of that. Mm. I found just like paying attention to when you're baking bacon at like 325. Is it safe to say that this myth is busted? No, I think it's great. I think it's actually... Sounds like it is. This myth is busted. Well, it's also a super easy kind of... You don't need to pay any attention to it. You're like, I'm going to have bacon in the morning, and it's going to be quick, and I'm going to also make a bunch of waffles, and everything else I'm making is going to be kind of complicated, so I don't want to deal with making really specific good bacon. Like mm-hmm. like bacon, if, if it's not the cornerstone of the meal, drop it in the sous vide, and then it's going to be really good. Mm-hmm. I just wouldn't say that it was the best I've ever had, and I've only done it twice. Um, but... I think it makes it really easy and kind of like you can't fuck it up because it's already rendered and cooked so well. If you throw it in a skillet for a minute and a half, it's perfect. Perfect. And it's, or it's really, you know, it's really, all you have to do is put a hot bag of bacon in a boiling pot of water. If you're paying attention to flipping pancakes, you're making waffles and then you got a frittata or like you're doing like a big brunch and bacon, just an element of it. Mm -hmm. I think it's a great way to make a quick bacon for Mm -hmm. sure. Okay. Um, speaking of barbecue stuff, we're, let's talk. BBQ. Let's talk whiskey. Let's talk whiskey. Whiskey. Our uh, our friend Jeff. our friend Jeff. He uh, he got married over when was that? When was that marriage? Like three years ago or something? Four years ago? <laughs> no. Was it like last summer? Yes. Okay, last summer. Let's say that. Feels shorter than that. Um, it was just, it was just his birthday. I got him this, this really good book, um, actually that I just thumbed through yesterday. But if you're into like wild game meats and kind of interesting, weird things like foraging for mushrooms and rabbits and pheasants and those kinds of weird things, there's a book called recipes from the woods, the book of game and forage. It seemed a little weird at first, like it could be like some hipster-ass dumb book, but then I looked at the recipes inside, and they're like very awesome and complex and interesting. Does it assume that you have a knowledge of foraging somewhat? I don't think so, no. No, so it kind of walks you a little bit through like how to identify mushrooms and stuff? No. No. It's just recipes of commonly forageable or hunting ingredients. Right. But done in a new kind of modern way while still respecting the old traditions. But it's saying, like, basically, buy these ingredients because we're not going to teach you how to safely get them to an extent. It's it's not saying anything. It's just a book of right. recipes. Here's, a re- here's here's what you should cook. Got it. So, yeah, I mean, like, there's, here's how you do some crazy-ass rabbit dish. You can kill it yourself or you can buy it at a store. Like, here's, here's cooking with ramps. Here's cooking here's with ramps. Here's cooking with chanterelles. Yes, exactly. Got it. Also, I only thumbed through it, so I could be wrong, but... The cover is very tight. It looks like a Boy Scout manual. Yeah, Re- I really like it. Great book. I highly recommend it if you're if you have like a man. Hey, if you've got like a shotgun, just gathering dust in the house. Yeah, get you some rabbits. Yeah, 
Or if you have a boyfriend who has like a beard and wears, <laughs> make him earn that beard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, you know the type. Make him use that truck just not to commute from the four hundred five. Get him in Santa truck. Monica. Get him out in the hills. Get him out in the hills. Um, but he uh, at his wedding he had procured a bottle of Pappy Van Winkle twenty three year that mm-hmm. I that I got to sample last night. He had a little flowed like water. Couple of squirts left over. It was it was very wild. It was very intense. Yeah. One thing, um, if you don't know what it is, it's it's kind of like the most sought after, hyped up, expensive whiskey in the game, and very controversial too. Very controversial. Um, it's like you know, it's the popping. It's the hot. It's the hot stuff. We're talking, so you can't really buy it off the shelf because it's already allocated when it comes out to high-end bars, beverage managers. I mean, they just they just don't go for sale. So, they're like in theory, the retail for you know those bottles are between you know at six thousand dollars, but there's none there's none you can buy at retail. So mm-hmm. it immediately goes to aftermarket, which gets into like the eight, nine, fifteen thousand dollar territory. Mm-hmm. And it's Pappy's from the Buffalo Trace Distillery, mm-hmm. and they just basically start going through randomly sampling different, different, what would you barrels? Yeah, and then saying these ten are going to be Pappy twenty three year, and then they're aged for that long. Mm-hmm. But it, it's very people kind of wonder about the cross section between marketing hype. Mm-hmm. For a long time, ten years ago, Pappy's been making that whiskey from the same. And pulling from the same barrels, they're suddenly now it's a big thing and it's very expensive. Yeah, and it's very good. Not knocking the quality at all. It is very good, but it's kind of like that idea of is it fifteen times better than a bottle of Buffalo Trace? Right. Is it at a certain point a hundred and fifty times better than a bu- bottle of Buffalo Trace? Hmm. Uh, you know. Yeah. But. I mean, the branding is amazing. I mean, it's not. I don't even know how consciously they're branding it, as opposed to just the hype around it. That, just that however, found it. however it worked. But out. I walk in and I see a a Pappy label on in a bar. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. it's a ten, a twelve, an eighteen, a twenty, and a twenty-three. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Something like that. Yeah, twenty-three being the the, the highest end. And of- then the problem is, you know, the twenty-three that you're buying now was made and aged twenty-three years ago. Yes, and they only made so much of it. So that's that's another reason why it's so popular and rare and sought after. Is it's very popular now, but twenty three years ago it was not at all. So they only made a small amount of it. So now I'm sure they're making a shitload of it. Yeah, I don't know how much more they're making. I mean, it's yeah, it's a fair enough point. But that's like a weird. It's it's a bizarre industry where you're like you're how much product you have to make. It, you, it's it's so you have no idea. It's just like oh, this is how much we made, and it, we made it twenty three years ago. I mean, there's a lot of articles kind of arguing, debating, going back and forth, and you know, as nerdy things get on the internet. But it's kind of like if you take a bottle of Four Roses right now and sip it in twenty three years, if you leave it in like an oak mm. barrel, like if you're aging it as opposed to leaving it in glass, which is going to do nothing for the most part, mm-hmm. you know, to an extent. Um, right. Not or compared to leaving it in some kind of wood, mm-hmm. um, is it going to be that different than Pappy Van Winkle, 
or is it the age? Is it the process? Is it, you know, it's kind of like, it's all coming from the same funnel. You've got the Bud Light, the Bud Draft, and the Bud Dry. Mm-hmm. But you're letting it age long enough, or at least you're making people think that it's, you know. And do people even care about how good it tastes, or is it ju- they just want to get it and have it on their shelf? Well, that's where the that's where the bourbon heads get kind of crazy, where they're like, there are al- there are bourbons out there this complex and interesting, not the same, mm-hmm. but at what point is it psychosomatic that you're being told this cost seventy five dollars a two ounce pour? Pappy Van Winkles is the Tiesto of whiskey. <laughs> yes. And there's a lot of very good other DJ whiskeys out there <laughs> that you should check out. <laughs> um, but, but it's, it's kind of like, it's got this like legend about it. Like somehow you'd think that somebody goes out into a forest and it's only made from these, like, he goes onto a Himalayan mountaintop or a Kentucky mountaintop where only this grove of trees has ever grown. And this is like where the biggest, fought civil war battle ever happened and that's why this flower is it's like no it's mm-hmm. buffalo trace aged for 23 years in a barrel mm-hmm. and it, and it's and it comes in a velveteen sack and the bottle itself if it can if it's legitimate it's it sells for like 400 dollars on ebay mm-hmm. just the bottle with the just label the bottle so i mean well, definitely keep that bottle and fill it with maker's mark and let people think that they're drinking mm-hmm. happy 23 it was really good the one the weird part about it that i was that I was surprised by is how it wasn't really like a smooth kind of buttery, silky flavor. Like it was, it was a very amazing flavor. Right. It was very easy to drink and very sippable, but it's still, even though it was aged 23 years, I thought it'd be a lot more mellow and, and, and luxurious and smooth sipping. And it still had a, a strong, strong kick to it and a strong bite. And, you know, the alcohol level is high on it, but... That's some Kentucky Hills speaking to you, brother. Yeah. But, you know, when you, when you think of... You're talking uh, about of a, a blended scotch or, like, a single malt scotch just, of that just age? Just when you... you uh, like, a common, a common trait in, like, an aged alcohol is, like, oh, it's going to get smoother and more sippable and more drinkable. And that's the defining characteristic of, of bourbon, which has right. to be aged four years and can only come from that area in Kentucky. Because mm-hmm. it's got that bite. It's always going to be mm-hmm. degrees of of being, you know, less or more, not harsh, but I mean, I, I guess like the the actual bite to it, yeah, just more of a kick to it. I mean, that's literally the definition of that alcohol. Yeah, I know, and it's great. I mean, and that's like, so you get those notes of like butterscotch or pepper or cinnamon or cherry, but like you, and depending on the barrels it's going into, but it's always going to be kind of that like, how's your father at the end? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It knocks you. It, it it definitely keeps you going. Which which I, at first I was like, this is kind of weird. I was expecting it to be a a luxurious, smooth ride like a seven series BMW or something like that. A but big, it still had a still had a strong kick, which it, was welcomed at, after I sipped it a few times. But a big part of those aged whiskeys and bourbons, and I mean Scotch, and I mean any of them, any aged spirit, but especially like. You know, like the really heavy peaty single malts and like any of those aged Kentucky bourbons. It's like you want that in a real nice big snifter because like the nose is what's going to like kind of light your eyes up mm-hmm. first off. Like if somebody hands that to you in a shot glass, you're missing 90% of the experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you want to let that breathe. You just want to be able to breathe it. Get a vessel to get that. Get what, that. Is it? what is that, Pappy? It's real nice. <laughs> um... Okay, what else is going on here, Andre? We got bison hot dog fried rice happening. That's on the nuts. 
Yeah, I was like, after I saw that book, I was I was thinking like, oh, man, I, I kind of want to explore the world of some nice, fresh game meats, un, unmolested by the man and the government, some raw and pure natural meats, get a good meat high off of it somehow. And I was at Whole Foods, and I was like, you know what? Let's let's start off easy, and we'll get some bison hot dogs. <laughs> Which, you know, dipping your toe in the jacuzzi of, of game meats. And, and I just, I started making kind of like a, like a very, I started making like a very wussy white people version of like a dirty Filipino fried rice, which is just like white Start rice. Start with garlic onion. Yeah, it's like white rice, a lot of garlic, vinegar, soy sauce, scrambled eggs, and then like some super sweet and salty like meat chunks some steak or something yeah. like that. And it's all mixed in together. But I did it with quinoa instead of rice. Ooh. Scrambled eggs and then these little bison hot dogs cut up. And then I did like a little uh, harissa yogurt as well on the side. Real nice. But <laughs> when you when you, you get a big-ass bison hot dog, you cut it up in some little baby chunks, you put it in a pan dry, and there's enough fat in that if you kind of cook it slow that... You don't have to add any oil to it or any any fat or butter or anything like that. You pull the hot dogs out, turn up the heat. And they get crispy? Yeah, it gets super crispy. Yeah. It gets super crispy. You pull them out. You leave the oil in there. Crack a couple eggs in there, and the pan's super hot. They fry up in like one minute. Chop them all up. You scramble it in the pan. Hit it with the quinoa. Hit it with the, the Filipino rice vinegar. A little soy sauce. A little, little hot sauce. Sesame? Uh, I don't do sesame oil, but you could for sure. And then you just put it all in there. You stir it up and pss, 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 hit it with a little. I remember in. Uh, it's very satisfying. In college. It's nice and, to eat a hot dog and have it be sort of not bad for you, I guess. Well, you're st- you're not st- that bad for you. You still. Well, you're, it's like. But I mean, when you look you in the more, package. You have more like actual food to fat ratio, but you're still rendering all the fat out of the hot dog and oh, just leaving sure. it in the meal. For sure. But, but yeah. I mean, like to have, like when you get a hot dog, like a Nathan's hot dog or even like a nice quality gourmet hot dog that you would get, it still has a bunch of bad stuff in it, a bunch of filler and artificial stuff. But the the label on the Whole Foods bison hot dog is just kind of like bison and. All like ingredients that are natural and, and simple. Bison, those. bison fat, bison additional hoof. Yeah, like it was natural casings. Yep. You know, there's no additives in it really. It was just you know five or six ingredients only. I remember there's. So a... I felt good about myself, even <laughs> though it was just like four gallons of sugar and salt in it, and quinoa, <laughs> mm-hmm. which has a has a better glycemic index than white rice. So sure does, girlfriend. I mean, I don't know. My problem with quinoa is I can never get it to a texture that I'm really, really happy with without baking it on parchment paper mm. after it comes out. Mm-hmm. You mean you like it, it comes out a little mushy? Not even mushy, just kind of wet, unless I dry it. Right. Like, can, it you... can be a really nice, firm texture, but then if I was imagining to throwing it into... Well, I guess I'd do the same thing. So if I make fried rice, or if I know in advance I'm going to... I'll bake the rice or cook the rice and then leave it uncovered in the fridge overnight. Yeah. So, I mean, I would imagine I've never done that with quinoa, so maybe that's why you Because you want to kind of dry it out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, you can, in, with the quinoa, you can kind of, when, once you're done cooking it, you can lay it out on some parchment, hit it in the oven at a low temp, 
and kind of dry it out a little bit. Or if you just want to do it on the fly, you can just put it in dry in, in your skillet, and it'll kind of like when you're trying to toast a toast a nut or something like that, and it'll it'll get it out. You know, it'll take like ten minutes at a low temp, but you can even get it nice and crunchy and crispy, like it, like a like a baby crouton. Mm. Isn't a quinoa just a really small crouton when you think about it? No, a low glycemic no, index. Not at all. Not even close. Mm. Would you just trying to work more hot dogs into my diet? When you so that I like I like the idea of talking about first time meals because it's always really interesting when you like have an idea in the store and you're like I'm gonna try that. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you'd be happy to make for somebody else? Yes, I think so. It sounds really good. I'm not saying it doesn't sound good, but I always my kind of my point of reference or or my scale of whether a meal's good or not. When I come off the cuff, I'm like, oh yeah, I want to, that looks good. Oh look at that. I make I come home and make it. I'm like, would I have somebody come over and eat this? Because a lot of times, like, proud to share. Yeah, you sit down and like you you sit down in front of a Dodger game or you sit down do something. You're eating food and it it tastes good. Yeah, but the real the real caliber is like, will I serve this to somebody else in my house Mm -hmm. and be like, here I made this, as opposed to like, this is leftover delivery from from quinoa house. (laughs) Right, right, right. Pretty good, right? Yes, like you you could. Can you come, stand behind that meal? You could come home from the bar and make a What's quesadilla. What's all the sauce around it? it make really a quesadilla good. out of string cheese. I'm looking at a photo of this of this quinoa stir fried rice. Um, the sauce that's that's a harissa grass fed yogurt, baby. Looks really good. It's good. Looks really good. So yeah, it's kind of yeah. So your analogy is sort of like here's a here's somebody who you would sleep with versus here's somebody who you would introduce to your parents. Yes. Yeah, we're getting there. We're getting there. I don't know if those those are the two polar extremes I was thinking mm-hmm. of, but yeah, yeah. A girl you would absolutely. smooch versus a girl you would introduce to your friends. Right. Definitely like... If nobody had to know you're eating this quinoa, would you still do it? No, I mean, I think that's more like... Answer the question. That's more like, did you just seriously buy ramen and make that at four in the morning and now you're watching like replays of shows you don't like mm-hmm. <laughs> as opposed to like hey i made dinner come on over try this right that seems like those are the two polar opposites you were describing and in the right mood that meal that that shame garbage meal you're eating another person could be like that's exactly what i want to yeah i feel more like that if that dish wasn't great you'd be happy if somebody came over and was like hey do you have any food be like yeah there's some fried rice i made have that yeah, I whipped up a bison hot dog quinoa fried rice. As opposed to, hey, Jason's coming over. I should make that quinoa fried rice dish that I came with last right. week. I'll definitely make that tonight. That would be more the analogy I was making. As yeah, opposed to I, hiding the side chick you're embarrassed about and, mm-hmm. and making sure you go to like somewhere that you've never been to, like going to Eden Compton and be like, nobody knows me. I can mm-hmm. take her here. Right. This is Yeah, this is sort of a guilty pledge, kind of a tongue-in-cheek version of trying to sort of gussy or healthy up a not so good for you meal that has a a uh, a sweet spot in the hearts of many asian people and myself no i think it's like you might truly well the greatest goal is to try to find something that tastes as good and be healthier than mm-hmm. what you like i mean i mean that's yeah is it as satisfying while maintaining a lower glycemic index scale that's all i care about but that, but that's why, a why common. You gotta, why you gotta call me on the glycemic index scale, dog? Because it's a fun I said word it to once. say. It's a fun it word, is a fun to, word say. to say. 
No, but yeah, that's that, that's like the whole one of the whole reasons I'm, that inspires me to cook is here's something that I really like. Could I make it healthier for me, or make it more nutritious for me, or do something to make it better? I would say those are the two. Those are the two, those two very separate but not mutually exclusive goals. Where it's like, can I make something as good as I've had, and I can can I make something as good as I've had and healthier? So it's kind of like if you're trying to cone feed like duck you know what you're working with. There's no way to make it healthier. Mm-hmm. You can make it as good as you've had and try to reach that goal. And that's one thing. That's more technique. Mm-hmm. But the idea of really kind of like going to a farmer's market, looking at what's in front of you, trying to think about what you really like, maybe even think about like the, you know, the guilty pleasures and be like, can it be as enjoyable and be healthier? I think those are, those are the two things that... Will it blend? Will, it, will that dog hunt? <laughs> in the words of GF mm-hmm. and Primus Dog Will Hunt Dog Will Hunt Shouts to the th- four people who know what we're talking about um, You had this on your notes for last time Danny uh, Danny Bowen from Mission, Mission Chinese won a pesto making competition Yeah, What's we should revisit it because I forgot a little bit of the story but I'll I'll dig into it and we can talk about it again. But no, we talk now. Well, this was a well. I might miss. I might get some of the facts wrong. Um, it was more of a reference to come back to. But basically, Danny Bowen from Mission Chinese and Mission Cantina in New York, uh, who I think is a great chef and has had like some. You know, but also, this happened in 2008. Did you know that? Yeah, no, it's, it's, I think it's an older story. It's an old story. I've never heard of it, so I thought I've never it was heard worth this mentioning. Either. It's so interesting. It's like if, it, if this came up, this is kind of... And he went on, like, he went on talk shows for it, I think. Like, somehow, like, Fallon had him come out. Or 2008 wouldn't have been Fallon, but mm-hmm. somebody had him come out. But he randomly, I think, got thrown into this kind of serious pesto competition. Like, there was, like, some... It's say the Pesto eight, World Championship in Genoa, Italy. So say 90%, Genoa, which is where I'm from mm. in Italy, and which is why we always had pesto-heavy dishes in the house, including like when I make torta di riso, it's always got four scoops of pesto in it, which is not traditional. Mm-hmm. But, um, Humble brag. <laughs> God damn it. it. Must be nice. So I think they, like, they took a few kind of celebrity people, celebrity chefs, and threw them in there. Not celebrity mm-hmm. people, celebrity chefs. So Danny was thrown in there and a few random people, and it was like 90% very serious, very well-intentioned Italian chefs and chefs from all around the world that specialize in Italian food to do a pesto competition. And Danny Bowen, who does not hang his hat on his pesto recipe, kind of came up and said that he would do it. Sure, why not? And figured he'd lose and didn't even want to win, just came up with his own thing. Mm-hmm. And he won the competition, which really pissed off a lot of people. But it was kind of unanimous that people thought his pesto was the best. The biggest thing was that it was all mortar and pestle. Mm -hmm. No blending, no hand chopping. He did it basically, you know. The way it should be. Well, I mean, there's... They say that the mortar and pestle brings out all the essential oils without losing them. It doesn't aerate at all because Mm -hmm. when you do it with enough olive oil... And you have the right technique that you're not exposing any of the leaves of the basil to air, so they're never going to brown or any lose any of that essential mm-hmm. oil. Yeah. And one of the big no hallmarks, bruising. no bruising. One of the big hallmarks of, I guess, the pesto that he came up with was its fluorescent green with zero additives, no any kind of no cheating, mm-hmm. because of the way that 
the the or at least the lack of exposure the leaves had to any kind of oxygen uh, and the texture of it was absolutely phenomenal and he won and I think they've, mm-hmm. he's never released the recipe specifically, but there are a lot of versions out there where people have shown pictures that they've come very close. So he, yeah, I mean, it's he he was 25 at the time. Yeah, and he's a Korean. Yep. So he's basically a Korean boy who goes. It's be, I mean, this is a man with a brain for any kind of food, though. And I, I know he's had oh, some yeah, missteps, yeah. and you may have eaten at Mission Chinese or Cantina or even at Mission Street Food. Uh, and had something go wrong because he's always inviting other chefs to come in, and there's always lots of drinking involved, and there's lots of loud <laughs> music. But I think at the heart of what he does, and he, I mean, I think he's... Oh, pedi- he's obviously very talented. He's pedigreed out of Tartine, which we mentioned, and probably in a million other places I don't know. Um, but he just, it seems like everything he does and everything that he kind of grab onto his brain just understands food mm-hmm. and, I, and, and is excited about it. But he it likes and kind of being punk rock and shaking things up a little bit, which I'm super into. Yes. But I think the whole the whole thing was like there were over 100 people competing in this. 80% of them were from that region who are pesto-making people. Yes. I mean, it's like you entering the Olympics marathon running contest for white winning. video guys <laughs> and just winning. Right, right. Or it's like you going to the Franklin barbecue competition right? and just being like, I guess I'll try to make barbecue and just beating everyone. And, and I don't like, know. I mostly I specialize you. in uh, Vindaloo's, but I'll try mm-hmm. doing this brisket and then just winning. It's, yeah, it's like, yeah. yeah. So it's very wild and I want to try that. But uh, I've heard the same thing about about pesto making is like the the most pure traditional way of doing it it has to be all raw ingredients it has to be mortar and pestle yep it's all uh, that's at the very least and it, and it sounds like it's a very fun thing to make which is what i'm what what which i'm curious made. about is that i have a mocajete which is volcanic stone which is kind of more latino hispanic mexican mm-hmm. and all the european mortar and pestles are marble yeah they're smooth. They're smooth-surfaced. Yeah, I, I think... So or th- I'm very curious, like, if I need... Now, if I'm going to try yeah, and replicate this, I don't think the, don't I don't think the mocajete is going to be... I think it's too coarse for you to do a proper pesto in it. I agree. Too coarse. I don't have a marble worm. Shout-outs to anybody who makes a mortar and pestle out of marble. Let me know. Those, ex- those are easy to find. They have them everywhere. No, I know. For you, it's no problem. Yeah, but they're also expensive, yeah? Mm. It's okay. I mean, it doesn't have to can be. Can I borrow seventy dollars? It doesn't have to be a true marble one. You can get kind of like some like not real one, I guess. I don't know where is the closest Walmart to us. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen Walmart's marble? It's actually it's that's amazing. actually a hard. Those that's a hard phrase to say. Walmart's marble. Do it. Um. And speaking of pesto, main ingredient, olive oil. I was watching this Vice Munchies video, Vice Munchies video uh, earlier today where they do, they do this, they do like a series on munchies where they, they profile athletes who have bizarre diets. They did like, they followed a sumo wrestler around for a week in LA and just like showed how crazy his diet is. And so Kobe and Bone Broth doesn't make the cut for these kind of video segments. It's got to no, be no, no. wild this shit. Is, this is like, this is 
the the quality of food that these people are eating and the way they're eating it's it's almost not even like an enjoyable thing it's was like, this the big was this a big sumo guy or a small sumo guy he was pretty big he wasn't gigantic but he was not a, he was not a tiny man but like the amount he the amount of calories he eats is just crazy but but the sumo guy it's like him and and he makes he goes to the market and just buys everything and makes a giant pot of soup and then just eats that and drinks beer and hangs out. But then I was watching one and drinks he, beer while he's training. Just drinks beer all the time. Yes. Yeah. Apparently, sumo wrestlers are really treated like kings. You just all you do is eat all day, and then like, like the government arranges for women to like be with you, and you're just, you're just, you're treated like a big puppy. And here's me trying to get six packs. <laughs> um, but uh, they did a they did a story about this girl but, who's a ballet dancer in L.A. Hold on, real quick Sorry. before the ballet. Tell you just really like kind of broad stroke like buys everything and makes a soup and drinks beer. Mm-hmm. Can you go? Can you describe this soup just a little well, bit know, more? Do you know it's like the it's like the is it like a hot pot of like everything? This like yeah. here's a steak, here's a whole chicken, here's an egg, here's some chives. It's been a I it watched boils. it like over a year ago, so okay. I don't remember. But it's it's a it is like a hot pot style. Um, so he just boils water and starts chucking shit into it and then eats it. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, it, it, he makes a traditional Korean soup that I forgot what it's called. Okay. But they they have they have it at um, the ramen place in Little Tokyo called oh fuck I forgot what it's called. Um, but there's a ramen place and they also offer this. It's not the GI Joe or the GI Joe. It's not the GI soup. It's not that one. It's not the House of. No, no, no. It's in Little Tokyo. I forgot what it's called. Um, so there's no hot dogs or spam in it? No. Is there fish? Is like whole fish is going in this broth? I don't think so. Okay. I think it's more of a chicken and, and chicken beef, and beef situation. situation. Mm-hmm. Maybe some pork. Jinx. You, All right. You owe me a bros. So the ballet girl. Yeah, so this ballet girl and her the whole thing, it's, it's her eating this diet where she, she's like a tall, very physically fit, extremely talented athlete person who weighs like 114 pounds like and and the 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 amount of weight that she has like if she's a 114 versus 115 she can notice it and feel it in her dancing so no way yeah it's crazy so but it's sort of profiling how sad it is that this person has to basically eat only prepackaged meals because she knows exactly what the calorie count is in it. So she just eats like frozen Trader Joe's meals and then we'll have like an orange or like cereal and she has to like weigh her cereal and weigh her milk. And she's, it's, she's just like living alone, weighing out Trader Joe's cereal at six in the morning and like making like a frozen dinner. And, but, but she's, it's so bizarre because she she works out for like six hours every day, and she's like at the optimal health and body and all this stuff. But well, it goes back to a lot of the food studies, you know, that have been coming out in the last like five years, saying that like at a certain point, certain age, your body becomes accustomed to a certain metabolism, regardless of whether you're born with it or you know whether you work towards it. And and it's the scary thing about obesity where. If you lived with an obese body for 15 years, the long-term studies are now saying, like, 
whatever we understand about the brain, the nervous system, the digestive system, when your body is that weight for that long, you can lose the weight, but you have to burn that many more calories to stay at that weight. So say you drop like, on, this was a big thing like two years ago for Biggest Loser. The New York Times came out with an article, there was a study that basically like, so if you want to maintain your body weight and exercise reasonably, it's like around 200, 200, uh, 2,000 to 22,000, 2,000 to 2,200 calories per day to maintain a normal body weight with mm-hmm. some exercise. Yeah. But when you've been that heavy for that long, you have to maintain basically a calorie intake of like 1,200 to 1,400 to stay that weight. Because if you eat 2,000 calories, which is a normal body weight oh. or a normal diet, oh. you will gain that weight back. So if she, and the flip side of that is she's spent that lifetime at that weight eating that little, that's how her body stays at that weight. Ooh. Meaning if she eats a normal diet, her body's not used to that, and her body expects that. Damn. I would say, though, like, you know, it's a food podcast, so we care a lot about food and eating and sharing it. But, yeah. I mean, her goal in life is not to eat food. It's true. So it's kind of like her goal in life is to really be at the pinnacle of, of artistic ballet dancing. Yeah, so that's true, and and but it, she may not even like. I mean, God, we've met people we've talked about on the podcast that people don't even like food. Mm-hmm. Soylent, yeah. Like, oh God, I'm so tired of eating. We shouldn't have to eat. Mm-hmm. But the, the the part that also sort of bummed me out is because I I, I was reading about another person who's doing this, where it's sort of a, a a common trait amongst people, often women who are obsessed with their weight and counting calories. And they're sort of forced to just eat these prepackaged processed foods, and they they seek kind of comfort in those foods right. because there is a there's a hard black and white calorie number on there that they're able to keep track of. So if they sure. have like this OCD brain where they're like, I need to eat sixteen hundred calories every day and then in 3.5 days I will lose this many ounces of weight and it actually does work it's so much easier than just making dinner yourself or going to a restaurant or having healthy natural foods where you don't exactly know how many calories are in there so you're sort of forced unless you want to do like hours of homework every day where you're measuring foods doing research and like crunching the numbers every time you eat an apple and it's like I eat an apple it's 80 calories, but like, is it a little apple or a medium apple or a big apple? It could be 160 calories. It could be, so you never know. But if you, if all of the food you eat comes in a box with a, this is 120 calories, you're able to calculate it all and then have like a sense of security and, and peace of mind knowing exactly what you're putting in there. Unfortunately, it's all just frozen processed food shit. But it's also. It's, I wish there was a better way. It's to programming eat better. your brain for serotonin and dopamine releases, right? Where it's like they're fixating on calories and numbers and weight loss, and that's what really kind of like fires the brain synapses. And mm-hmm. you can program that stuff. It's like people play video games. You know, like if you tell someone to sit down and play a video game that's never done in their life, and they play it, they're going to be like, "That's eh, all right." But mm-hmm. if somebody's done it forever and achieved something, like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. It's like if you have somebody, you know, playing basketball, if you have any, doing a sport, it's like you really program your brain to 
kind of give you that reaction to something that you like or think that you like or find that you like for whatever reason or whatever place gambling alcohol you, it's all it's all down the line mm-hmm. and the behavior describing is hot wings it's just about looking at numbers and doing doing the math and stepping on a scale i just wish there was a way that the healthier natural whole foods that are better for you were easier to track those calorie numbers well i think it's 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 interesting because what you're describing is someone it's the soylent situation but on a different level because soylent's not about weight loss but Mm -hmm. the idea is that they're not they don't want to cook natural food because they find food disgusting because it makes them fat or at least no no, no, i'm I'm having this as a takeaway no no, no, no i'm not saying that at all because the person who only eats packaged food that looks at the calorie content is like, oh, I have to do this. I know the numbers. But if they... I think they want to eat food and they like food and they enjoy it, but they just know for sure, without a doubt, right, so how exactly many calories are in this product that they're right. eating. Because they could go to a farmer's market, know the actual calorie count for the amount of weight of food that they're doing, could cook all of that, take that fennel take that nice fresh arugula, mm-hmm. weigh it out on a food scale, know what that vegetable mm-hmm. or that fruit actually mm-hmm. per calorie per ounce is and make something amazing out of it mm-hmm. as opposed to going Trader Joe's and going like, oh, these tamales have this much in it. Right. So that's, that's what I'm saying is that's the desperate mark of like between, yeah, they might like food, but they don't like food enough to find out how to eat as much as they want to lose and also make something really great. Yeah. They want to eat Trader Joe's tamales. But also like they're tired and they're and you know they've been at work all day or they've been working all day and like it's a lot of work to to cut and measure and calculate and research the amount of calories that you're every little you know if you're going to make a dish that seems so simple as it's very Wally it is it's tough I do not I do not wish for this future I know neither do I we'll find a way guys. But by next week, we'll have found a solution to this food issue that our world is going through. We'll have hacked it. Mm-hmm. We're probably going to have like some sort of Nobel Peace Prize, <laughs> or like I think if the podcast doesn't come out next week, it's because Elon Musk has given us seeding money for our future fellowships. I'm looking at you. Holler at me, fellowships. Um, well, Andre, what's the best thing that you ate this week, Playa? This is a great question. Thank you so much. I invented it. I'm going to say, I ch- <laughs> this is silly, but it really made me happy. I changed my turkey meatloaf recipe this week <laughs> with something um, that I'd never done before. Uh, I blended a slurry of cremini and shiitake mushrooms mm. and cooked that down from Serious Eats tip. Mm. And it added to a turkey meatloaf. It made it taste like one of the best meatloafs I've ever had. So you got some some umami rich flavorful yeah. mushrooms and you blend them. And down it was like a like tablespoon of fish sauce as well, but I usually do that, so that wasn't that different. So but it cooks down into like a, a thick, coarse paste of mushroom. Yep, and that is mixed in with the turkey meat. Yep, and then it just fortifies it with so much flavor. So that was like the. You still have any more of this meatloaf left? I do. You can try some as, as you we shave it eat. off. Yeah, I'll cut you a piece. Have you ever put meatloaf in like a meat slicer to do like a nice thin flap of meatloaf for a nice meatloaf sandwich? I think the texture would be to do that. I would not want to eat that texture meatloaf if you could actually do like a how do you a know really small slice 
but it's all stacked on there. Well, maybe it makes it better. I don't know if it could cut like that. I think I'll just come out. Well, yeah. Okay. We'll try do it. it. Buy a meat slicer and do, do it. it. So my favorite thing I ate this week was meatloaf that I made with a mushroom slurry, which is really good. Sick. Well, I mean, I, I, for me, obviously, the best thing I ate was when you made brisket again. Yes, that so was very hard, good. It's hard to compete with that, but we uh, we went and got Persian food. Oh, well that was fan- that was so good on Saturday. That's delicious. Always a great meal. I would say, you know, the the crispy rice tadig Sunday. Yeah, crispy rice tadig with a nice Persian herbaceous stew on top and some super thick yogurt with shallots in it. Munching on some radishes and butter on the side. Mm. I would I would have actually said that, but I kind of forgot. But that was so good. I had, I hadn't eaten a Rafi kebab in I, I don't know a long yeah, time. Yeah, Rafi's place in Glendale, California. It's a it's a hilarious looking restaurant. It's a very over the top Persian style. I would say that's now in my top three brunches. Period. Anywhere in LA. Mm. It was such an enjoyable. It was like, more of a lunch Sunday than a brunch. Afternoon. I don't I don't know I if you can it call lunch. it a brunch. It's not it's not food that you could really have coffee with. I was thinking, like, you could eat that at 11. You could, could eat, eat that at 11. 11. I can eat Indian food and Korean food at 9 in the morning, so. Yeah, but, yeah. but when, I, when I say brunch, it's got to be a coffee and beer-friendly meal. Got it. You could have, I've had beer with Persian food, that's good. I've had wine with Persian food, it's also good, bro. No, but no, But coffee and kebabs think, is a wild combo. Would never think to do that. But it was such, it was such a nice meal mixed with all of the grilled meats, but... The aromatics of like all the the onions coming out, the mm-hmm. fresh herbs, and then feed the stew, and then the tadik, the texture, like the it kind of like covers every single base from like aromatic to texture to, mm-hmm. I don't know, meat, and also a little bit Korean. Umami, There's a like, little Korean with the with the panchan as well. Like you sit down sure. and here's. Here's a bunch of herbs, here's some onions, here's some butter and some radishes and some little bread, and you can make these little sandwich. Oof. And I had a fantastic lunch of that the next day. Mm-hmm. There's enough left over. He's good, best. Good for the leftovers. He's best. Ease, all is, is indeed best. Well, we're going to go now, stew fans. Thank you guys for listening. Andre Conopar has no social media on the internet, but I feel like that's going to change in a while. I feel like he's going to get it soon. Of course, you could find me on social media at them jeans, Twitter, Instagram, etc. If you like this show, please take a quick little moment and go on iTunes and give us a five star rating and review so more people can find it and just fall in love with it as you have as well. Shout outs to our moms, Karen, Jill. Jill, what up? And that's all. Love you guys. Thanks so much. Bye.